In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. On the parish website, on the homepage at the moment, you will find a link to this document, The Paschal Mystery, an intertextual account of the Lord's passion, death, and resurrection, and ascension. It might be in your rooms, too. I think I left a copy of this. Uh, and not just this small size, but I think in the seminary rooms, they're like monastery size. So you could have three or four people uh, read it at the same time. It's all four Gospels, just lined up side by side. It's not a technique uh, terribly new or unique, but it's, uh, it's novel and um, helpful. So we can see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the text, if it's contemporaneous, is, appears side by side. Um, and without having rearranged the ordering of any of the paragraphs, just by sliding down paragraphs so that they then uh, coincide with each other, the, um, the extra detail that are in some Gospels appear all the, all the more readily. It, I've, I've always been eager to make that part of my preparation for, for Easter during Holy Week. But it's especially helpful when we are reading the, the accounts of our Lord's resurrection. Now, it's the third Sunday of Easter. We're still talking about Easter Sunday. The Gospel reading is still Easter Sunday. It's the road to Emmaus. Um, in the Old Mass, this was the Gospel reading for Easter Monday, for the day after Easter. Last Sunday, of course, in both um, the old form and the new form of Masses, we heard from John 20, um, for good reason, because it's about the gift of reconciliation and penance, um, the gift of God's divine mercy. We are still soaking up all the details of Easter Sunday, and it takes many days to do it. So, what's consistent across the board, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is that Mary Magdalene and the other women went to the tomb. They found it empty, spoke to angels, and were told um, that he's not here, he's risen. So they went to tell the apostles who didn't believe them. Simon and Peter run back and find the tomb empty and believe. And then the risen Lord appears to Mary Magdalene, visits with her, but he says, don't cling to me, right? Noli me tangere. St. Matthew's Gospel adds extra details about the guards and they're going back to the chief priests and they're figuring out what to say about what happened. And then Mark's Gospel and Luke's Gospel tell us about our Lord appearing to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. The, the detail is in Luke's Gospel. It's mentioned in Mark's Gospel. And then afterward, so then the, the two apostles, or rather the two disciples, run back to Jerusalem seven miles. So that was a 14-round day, or 14-mile round trip in one day. Um, remarkable. And not impossible, but a remarkable.
the two disciples come back to tell the apostles what they had seen, what they had just experienced. The apostles tell them that the Lord has appeared to Simon. And then our Lord is described as appearing to the eleven, which we know didn't happen on Easter Sunday. That happened eight days later. At that time, John's Gospel tells us about the appearance to St. Thomas, and then up north at the Sea of Galilee. That's in John 21. All of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, give us Lord, the Lord's last instructions to them with a beautiful narrative provided by John's Gospel up at the Sea of Galilee, where... <coughs> Peter is being reconciled to the Lord. And then remember, we can't account for the risen, all the scriptural accounts of the risen Lord, unless we also read the first chapter of Acts of the Apostles. Because our, in the first chapter of Acts of the Apostles, the Lord is still speaking to the apostles and giving them last instructions. And these are among the most startling, especially for those who think they're familiar with the Gospels, as we prepare for Pentecost. That comes later. So you can find a link to this uh, and download the PDF and read all four Gospels all at the same time. It's appropriate because the road to Emmaus is that conversation when our Lord gives what must have been amazing detail and were provided none of it in the text of the Gospels. He explained to them all that pertained to him in the Scriptures. Now, the Gospels also tell us that when he appeared to the Ten, he opened their minds that they could understand the Scriptures. I imagine that a similar conversation ensued, but that refers to perhaps something more along the lines of infused knowledge or grace that permitted them to finally understand everything with which they were familiar but on the road to Emmaus, there's plenty of time. Our Lord just spoke to them. He's very patient. He listens to them before he even speaks. A lot of the road to Emmaus, which is a favorite for so many of us, is obviously Eucharistic, and there is something similar to the Holy Mass that ensues where our Lord encounters us. He permits us to enter into his presence, he speaks to us and teaches us, and then he, his actual presence is even more manifest to us in the breaking of the bread. He already was physically present to the two on the road. Their hearts were burning, but they didn't realize it was him until, until the actions took place probably in Emmaus. That so similarly followed what our Lord did at the Last Supper taking bread, breaking it, blessing it, giving it to them. The text of, John 20, of Luke 24 doesn't necessitate the conclusion that our Lord actually gave them his body and blood, but, but the pattern was very similar. And, and the connection to the Holy Mass is, is too obvious not to mention.
There are some, some details of the road to Emmaus that I'd like to focus on because they're not the ones that we usually think about and hear about. And, and that doesn't mean these are new ideas. I'm just piggybacking off St. Augustine and St. Cyril of Alexandria and Eusebius. Eusebius, who's quoting Hegesippus, along with St. Cyril of Alexandria, make an interesting connection that the Cleopas, who's mentioned here in the text, is the brother of Joseph, the brother of St. Joseph, which would, which would make this man, an older man, and the uncle of Jesus. The unnamed disciple they identify as the son of Cleopas, so our Lord's cousin, Simeon. The same Simeon whom the church, whom St. Eusebius, and because of that, the church regards as the second bishop of Jerusalem, who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem after the year 70, who also died a martyr's death. Those details, um, hopefully, just hearing a new interpretation or an old interpretation that's new to us, helps us reread the whole thing brand new and consider angles that we had ignored. For instance, I have to admit, I've always thought our Lord was being extraordinarily demanding when having heard these two describe the recent events obviously with a somber heart that he says oh how foolish you are how slow to believe all that the prophets spoke was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory it's it really is rather a reasonable thing for someone to be distraught when our Lord has been crucified. <clears throat> and then several days later, his tomb is empty. Even the apostles are abraded chastised for not believing the holy women who told them not what they saw but what they heard. They heard from the angels that the Lord was alive. That should have been believed. That should have been trusted. But it wasn't. Similarly, St. Thomas won't believe the apostles. So the apostles will know what it's like to be certain of the resurrection and not be believed. But consider who is being mentioned without being named when our Lord says, oh, how foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets spoke. Well, who wasn't foolish and who wasn't slow of heart? Our Lord's mother
Which tells me then that Our Lady not only was ready to believe that our Lord had risen, did not resist the news or did not disbelieve it, whether it was communicated to her by an angel or someone, or whether our Lord visited her personally. I think there are many, many pious souls that are confident that our Lord must have appeared to her, visited her before anyone else. We do have to account for the gospel is saying that he appeared to Mary Magdalene first, but I would, I would say that that only underscores then that Our Lady didn't even need to see him to know that he was already risen. It's a beautiful meditation because our Lord is our Lord being unrecognized and misunderstood is a is a lonely thought. To know that he's understood, not just loved. To know that he's recognized. To know that there's someone that appreciates what he's doing. Not really any of us, but his mother. That is a consoling thought. It means also that eventually we can too. With the help of the Holy Spirit. That is a consoling thought, but then there's a another side to it because our Lord also abrades Cleopas maybe his uncle and the other disciple maybe Simon his cousin I don't know why I shook my head like that when I said it but may just to show that I'm not saying it's certain that that is his uncle and his nephew but it may very well be and I would say if Eusebius and Cyril of Alexandria are asserting it we have to come up with a reason to say otherwise. So he says to the two, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And in order to press the point then, he explains Moses and the prophets. That also tells me then, the Blessed Virgin Mary already understood that it was necessary that her son should suffer these things before entering into his glory. How profoundly upsetting it is to think that that Mary, that, that, that our Lord's perfect mother, his perfect holy mother, full of faith and hope and charity, that she already knew. She was already suffering these things before they happened because she also knew scripture. When she greets Elizabeth with a prayer that we regard as so central to the prayer life of the church that we pray it every evening, the Magnificat, which clearly is cognizant of her 
um, or cognizant of sacred scripture. Our Lady didn't have to have this Bible study with our Lord. She meditated on everything in her heart, everything that she heard, especially things that were said about her son. She, she is therefore the greatest of all theologians. All of this was, was in her heart, not just in her, in her ears and in her brain. How horribly beautiful that Our Lady already understood. She already understood these things. She already knew it was necessary that Christ should suffer and enter into his glory. That makes her her faith and her hope that much more rugged. She wasn't just simply faithful to God and believing his things were easy for her. Rather, I, I dare say there's no human being Right, a human person who had a more difficult life than the Blessed Virgin Mary. No one suffered more than she did because no one loved as perfectly as she did. No one understood as much as she did. And so the Blessed Virgin Mary, who's not mentioned, right, in any of these uh, post uh, resurrection accounts, or so you would think, because she is mentioned in Acts of the Apostles when our Lord's uh, instructions are being carried out faithfully to wait in Jerusalem till they're clothed with power from on high, baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Blessed Virgin Mary is in their midst. So she's not absent, she is very much part of the early church. And I can, I can imagine the two disciples on the road to Emmaus reported back everything that our Lord explained to them. I imagine that the apostles were also listening a lot to what Mary had to say about her son. Not just what he did and what he said and what he was like when he was a baby, but also everything in sacred scripture that referred to him. So as Easter unfolds, we turn to our Lord And we turned to his mother and asked that our foolishness be taken away, um, that our hesitance to believe, our our failure to understand be healed and fixed. Uh, that we be patient enough to listen and to read sacred scripture, to understand our Lord better. Not simply confident that the Old Testament refers to our Lord and it's really about him, but then eager to actually read it and, and spend time with it so that we can understand Jesus better. That we rejoice and be confident and hopeful, even in the midst of our suffering and the even greater suffering of others. And that we persevere to the end, that we finish, finish the race 
and complete the fight. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.